Welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. We're back with new episodes in 2017, telling the amazing stories of type 1 diabetics across the world. I'm your host, Rob Howe, and if you'd like to get involved with Diabetics Doing Things, all you have to do is shoot me an email or reach out via Instagram. What's up, everybody? Rob Howe here. Uh, Just wanted to throw some gratitude your way this afternoon because we just crossed over 25,000 downloads all time for Diabetics Doing Things, and I owe that all to you. So thank you guys so much for listening. It totally makes my day whenever you tell me that the podcast has affected you positively in some way. So keep listening. I appreciate you to the max. All right, let's get back to the episode. All right, welcome back to Diabetics Doing Things. Uh, We're interviewing new guests all the time with type 1 and talking about everything that they do outside of just having type 1. So my my guest today, I'm very excited to to introduce you to, is Kristen McGuire. Kristen, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, You're absolutely welcome. I'm really excited about this interview um, because I think the interviews to me, when I get when you got referred to me from a mutual friend of ours, uh, and I think when people hear about diabetics doing things who are maybe friends of mine or just come across it in social media and think of someone who would be great on the show, I always love to meet those people. So, um, yeah, it's it's fantastic to just, uh, you know, the world is really small, and I love that the diabetic community reaches out and connects people. I, I agree completely, and like, uh, I haven't I haven't been diabetic as long as a lot of type ones. I was actually diagnosed as an adult, but one of the things I always thought was like when I was diagnosed, I'm like, well, this sucks, but I'm not gonna let it keep me from doing the things I want to do in life. Like I've got dreams, and I'm gonna do them. And so I think it's great that there's a show that focuses on what diabetics can achieve because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about it and what you can and cannot do and things like that. When in fact, like you're just as capable as anybody. Totally agree. And I think with that, I, I definitely want to focus a little bit on, uh, you know, what it's like for you as an, who was diagnosed as an adult, uh, sort of those misconceptions and like learning that on the fly. But first let's talk a little bit about your diagnosis. Okay. What do you want to know? Just give us the full rundown. I mean, what, uh, obviously, like, the, the usual symptoms, right? Like, weight loss, going to the bathroom all the time, always being thirsty. Um, <laughs> but just paint us a picture. So, my story is kind of unique because I was actually six months pregnant um, when I was diagnosed. And uh, when I, six months is about the time they do the test where they have you drink, like, the orange juice and they check your blood sugar um, they check you for, uh, gestational diabetes, which is different because it always goes away after you have the baby. And so I did the test, but right before I did the test, the only thing I had noticed that was different was that I was waking up in the middle of the night, really thirsty. Like I would drink like two glasses of lemonade and I'm like, and I'm still thirsty. Like, and I just thought it was a pregnancy thing because I'd never been pregnant before and who knows and pregnancy is weird um and so when I went in to do the test uh the doctors asked me they're like whoa your blood sugar is really high you know are you having any of these symptoms are you are you tired all the time and I'm like well yeah I'm pregnant and they're like were you going to the bathroom a lot and I'm like yeah I'm pregnant and so like all of the symptoms that most people have when they're diabetic are also symptoms you have when you're pregnant and so 
the only thing that was weird to me was the uh, the thirst, and I wasn't losing weight because I was pregnant. Um, so I didn't have any symptoms other than extreme thirst. I mean, thankfully, the only reason we caught it was because I had to do that test. Um, but even then, when you're pregnant, you know, you have to maybe take um, a little bit of insulin, or a lot of times it's controlled through diet alone, and it couldn't be controlled. And so they ran a test and tested my antibodies, and that's when they're like, whoa, you're actually a type 1 diabetic, and pregnancy has just jump-started it. Wow. And that's when I got diagnosed. <laughs> well, actually, you know, you're right. Your story is pretty unique. You're the, that's the first one uh, uh, diagnosis story of that kind that I've heard on, uh, on diabetics doing things. So you're right. It is unique. <laughs> and, and what a challenge, right? I think especially uh, adult diagnoses are tricky enough, um, you know, with, uh, you know, type 2 and misdiagnosis and um, all the, the nuances that are associated with um, being older and diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, but specifically when you're pregnant. So what was, what was your reaction, um, you know, during that during that day where they were doing the test? You're like, uh, now, oh, I'm thirsty, and now I'm a diabetic? What's the deal? <laughs> um, well, it took a few days for them to realize that it was type 1 and not just gestational. Um, they ran the test because my doctor was suspicious uh, that, you know, you're not, he's like, you're a skinny girl. And so it seems really weird that your blood sugar would be off the chart. Um, I literally just look like I had a basketball in front of me. Like I exercise, I work in a hospital. So I walk like constantly, like I'm very, very active. Um, so he's like, but this is just weird. And that's when he took it on his own initiative to run the antibodies. Um, and it turns out that my biological dad, who I, I don't even know, I found out later that he's also a type one diabetic, but they didn't find out till he was in his thirties. Um, so the good news about all that was, is while it was of course very shocking, um, the good news is they caught it so early that I never had to go through that like, horrible hospitalization stage that a lot of adults go through when they figure things out. Um, and when I gave birth, it went away. And then, like, came back, and it went away, and it kind of, like, would go in between. And by the time I, I had my second daughter, uh, it was, like, permanent. But once again, we caught it so early, I've always had really great control over it because it never just happened. Like, it was, it's always been very gradual. So it's gradually, you know, gotten worse over the years, like it often does, where you have to take more insulin and things like that. But compared to most type 1 diabetics, I'm still on very little insulin. Well, that's interesting because, like, I think, you know, like you said, there's so much, so many stories out there where it's a stark difference or, um, you know, I have to take a lot of insulin because my A1C was 15, you know. Um, oh, my God. Mine's never been over, like, 6.3. <laughs> great. So, yeah, I, I think, like, and that, that's important, too, that, like, not all type 1 looks the same. Uh, and I, I think that's what's so great about that JDRF campaign, um, hashtag T1D looks like me, um, because it's, it's, it's purely for awareness's sake and people put that filter over their photos, but, um, you know, it's, it's to show that there really isn't one size fits all when it comes to type one. And I think, um, you know, as people look, and especially with the advent of social media and, and how popular it is. You know, it's easy to see all only the good things that people post, or only the, um, you know, with, without any of the struggles, right? So, 
I think that's good to like be open about like, hey, like, yeah, I, I'm still type one, even though, and I deal with the same things, even though I don't have to take as much insulin or I, my honeymoon period has lasted longer than most people's or whatever the case may be. Yeah, my, my doctor frequently tells me, he's like, you've had the best honeymoon period of anyone I've seen. I'm like, yeah, it's lasted like 10 years. Hey, just <laughs> keep, keep riding that train, whatever you got, whatever you're, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Uh, my biggest problem was, and it's not as bad as it used to be because, you know, as all, all honeymoons must come to an end and mine has slowly started coming to an end. But once upon a time, especially when I was pregnant, my pancreas still made its own insulin. So occasionally it'd just be like, you need this now. And you're like, no, no, pancreas, I don't know. Okay, I'll take it right now. Uh, so that would, I would randomly bottom out. Like I, I had way more problems with bottoming out than I did with high blood sugar because I would take my insulin like I was supposed to. And then like an hour later, my pancreas is like, here you go. And I'm like, no, I didn't need it. No, thank you. <laughs> that's so, that's so frustrating, right? Cause there's no way to predict <laughs> when it's going to happen. Um, exactly. It's not as bad as it used to be. Cause I guess like I've, like I said, I've ridden that honeymoon period as long as I could. And it's out of insulin now. I don't know. But, uh, I have a lot less lows than I used to, and now more highs. It's not as much fun. Oh no, no fun. <laughs> highs are the worst. <laughs> so I want to talk real quick, um, because uh, you know, as you were diagnosed as type one, um, let's. We've had a few mothers on our show um, mm-hmm. talking about you know their journey with pregnancy with type one. What was that preparation process like for you? Um, given the, the circumstances of when you were having your first baby, you weren't type one, then your second child, you were. Uh, I want to say it was actually easier the second time around because I knew what I was doing at that point. Uh, with my first one, the biggest problem I had was uh, that we tried to control the diet and that didn't work. And then we had to, you know, we had to go on insulin. I had to learn how to take insulin while pregnant. And it was the thought that like everything I do doesn't affect just it affects baby and I actually lost weight after I was diagnosed because I drastically changed my eating habits uh so I lost like six or seven pounds when I was pregnant when most women are like putting on weight I was losing it uh and with the second one you know I already kind of knew what to expect and I knew what I could eat and I knew what triggered what and so it wasn't as bad other than the fact that you know I had like six months of trying to figure out, like, hey, I don't want to mess up this baby instead of just, like, three. Uh, The worst part for me is I'm, like, five feet tall, so I'm, like, really tiny, and both of my children were, like, really large. They were, like, the first one was eight pounds, one ounce, and the second one was eight pounds, 12 ounces. So that was the biggest problem as, you know, diabetes causes children to be born with higher birth weights. Oh, I didn't know that, actually. That's interesting. Yeah. Uh, do you, you know... Do you, babies when you're diabetic. Do you know why that is? Um, I really, I really don't, uh, unfortunately. What's weird is that both of my children are very petite like me, so even though they started out as, like, big babies, like, they're the smallest kids in their class. So they just came, they just came out ready to go. They're like, this is me, they this is how big like, I am. ready to go, yeah. Um, but... Usually when you're diabetic, you have to have your baby uh, induced uh, because they grow larger than normal babies. So m- both of my babies were induced a week 
ahead of time, and they still came out, like, eight pounds. So if they, like, when you're pregnant in the last trimester, your baby in your, in your stomach puts on an extra pound, like, per week. So an extra week would have made it a nine-pound, 12-ounce baby. Woo. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you can see why the doctors are like, we're not going to let that happen. Yeah, my, uh, my brother and sister uh, were, my sister was like 9 pounds, 11 ounces, and I think my brother was 10 pounds, 8 ounces or something, something big old babies. But my, oh mom, my, but my mom's like 5'11", so, um, <laughs> so she was a little bit bigger than you were. So that's, that's <laughs> a good little bit, yeah. luck, lucky for her. <laughs> yeah, it's not a cakewalk when you're only five feet tall. <laughs> it's not. And I think, uh, you know, back to sort of type 1 diabetes looks like me, um, you know, at diabetes, diabetics come in all shapes and sizes. Like I'm like 6'6", six, six and like I'm huge. I'm not, I'm a pretty, <laughs> at least I said I was big to someone the other day. Like, you're not big, you're just tall. And I was like, okay, well, that's fair. But um yeah, I think there's, I've met over the last year and a half or so, so many different people from so many backgrounds, like that are all different shapes and sizes. And, um, and I think that's so unique about this sort of family that we found ourselves in is that there is no like typical blueprint of what a type one looks like. It could exactly. honestly be anyone. It could be. And I, you're, you're absolutely right there. And my favorite thing is when people look at you and they're like, but you're so skinny. And you're like, yeah. If only that was what mattered. <laughs> like, right. If only it wasn't my beta cells. If only my beta cells were were, <laughs> were alive. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about what you uh, what you do uh, for your career uh, because okay. I, I think it's super interesting. And uh, I know you you work at uh, Funimation here in Dallas, but why don't you just tell everyone what um, you know what you do on a day to day basis? What's the day in the life of Kristen McGuire like? <laughs> okay. Um, well, I am a voice actor. Uh, I'm also I'm also a comic book artist. I'm also a script writer. Um, I actually wear many, many hats. And I'm a mom. Um, so what I do is I voice act for anime when they bring it uh, over from Japan and they license it for English. They need someone to be those English voices. So uh, I will be that English voice. We like to kind of jokingly call ourselves, you know, a DVD option or the Spanish Homer Simpson. Um Mostly we act like, uh, I act like teenage girls a lot, and sometimes little girls, and sometimes little boys. Um, or currently, I'm playing a parasitic alien that lives in a boy's chest. But, you know. Okay, okay. all right, hold on. What? That sounds cool. Um, <laughs> all right, uh, not to put you on the spot, but, like, so if you're going to do, give us, like, a typical anime character. Just, like, I don't know, do a voice. <clears throat> okay. Um, well, when I play teenage girls, they usually sound like this, and they're a little bit younger, and they're usually really peppy, because that's how anime girls are. Um, but if I'm a parasitic alien, then he kind of sounds like this, and he lives in a little boy's chest, and he looks like a little, like, cat creature lives in there. <laughs> <laughs> um, or if I play a boy, which I've done on several occasions, he's just pretty scruffy. I, I call it my Ash Ketchum impression from Pokemon, but it's like, you know... Hey guys, after this, let's go out to the pond and catch some frogs. It'll be awesome. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's I, you. You had me convinced. Uh, uh, that 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 reminds me, right? Just like Ash. That's fantastic. <laughs> so thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting up with that. I uh, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but uh, I felt like we had to hear that. So what's it a, all the time? 
What's a uh, what's a typical day like for you? Uh, I imagine, and and you sort of prefaced me with this beforehand. Like your hours are atypical from a typical nine to five person. So what's a what's a day like for uh, for you? And from a diabetic's perspective, so uh, you know, how do you prepare for your uh, gigs? Uh, I mean, like I said, my schedule's all over the place most of the time. Uh, most of the time, I you know I wake up and I check my blood sugar, and then I take my long-acting insulin, because um, I take that in the mornings, and then you know I'll eat breakfast. Usually, like I'm really cheap when it comes to insulin. I don't like taking a lot, so when I eat breakfast, I try to find something under 15 carbs so I don't have to take insulin. Um, it's like just one less poke in my day, <laughs> and then uh, depending on what I have to do, like if I have to write a script, you know, like I'll sit down and read a video and I'll write. And, not that exciting uh but if i have to act then you know it takes me about an hour to get ready i usually take a snack like a green apple uh because it won't mess up my vocal cords and you know it's not like chocked full of carbs and i'll usually eat a snack right before i go in because a typical recording session is going to be you know average around two hours sometimes more sometimes less but average two hours and there's nothing worse than like recording and then you know bottoming out in the middle of recording um and then it just depends because we record anywhere from 10 a.m to 10 p.m so it's very much like trying to figure out food options and when to eat and and things like that are the biggest obstacles or sometimes i travel for conventions and that's just like a whole different that's a whole different ball games you know traveling to a different state and having all your supplies and I just traveled recently and I left my test kit at home and so I had to buy one of the cheap ones at like Walmart and it was like it's not the one I usually use and I don't like it <laughs> right and it's got the different shaped test strips and it's like yeah <laughs> I couldn't figure out I was like but that's not how it works oh well, I have to turn it around and I, I kind of want to walk through as well like I, I think you know, obviously, like traveling and, and any sort of day-to-day activity, you have to prepare that one extra step uh, than, than a regular person, right? And uh, make sure that you have your sugar on you and make sure you have all your supplies. Or if you don't, you know, I remember when I used to work in events, I ran out of ran out of test strips like halfway through the event. And I was like, well, I got to go call my prescription into a new Walgreens. No, so, God, that's the worst, oh, too. It was, it was tough. And um, But for you specifically... Um, what if you have a low while you're like in the studio? Um, and I think you prefaced this a little bit in our conversation before, but there are certain foods that affect your voice. So talk about like, what, how would you treat a low in the studio versus a low at home? So, you know, a low at home, usually I like to, when I, when I treat a low, I like to treat it with something that also has protein in it. So it's not just going to spike and drop back down. So, you know, I'll have like a protein shake or I'll, uh, you know, eat a protein bar or something. But when I'm in the studio, like dairy is all off limits. Like you can't have dairy because it creates like a, like a film in the back of the throat. And it's very like Hershey sounding. Um, It makes you have to clear your throat a lot, which you don't want to do when you're recording. Uh, so, like, the best option would be to, like, have an apple or something, but the studio doesn't have that. So, unless I bring it myself, it's not going to be there. They have a vending machine, and at that point, like, my only option are, like, chips. Because chips are one of the few things you can eat that aren't going to affect your voice. Like, you don't want to 
eat like a bunch of peanut butter or chocolate or something like that because it gets stuck in your throat and it causes you to have mouth noises. And so, <laughs> right, you don't want all your characters to be like, or Skittles, maybe, you know, if you're like really hard up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and things like that I never thought of before I became a voice actor, but I'm like, oh, these things are really important. Well, and I think, you know, for all of us, right, you, uh, there are nuances to every person's walk with type one. So, um, you know, whether it's long hours, I was just watching a, uh, a documentary the other day and it was at a big event that, you know, went all day and no one would get up and leave. And I was like, man, like for a a type one in there, like not only are these people not eating, but they're like, they don't have time to get up or move around. So, you know, what do what they, how do they do it? What are, you know, what do we not know? How many purses are out there filled with snacks um, or backpacks? It's so you know? funny that you mentioned that because it just had a flashback to my college graduation. It was like a four hour long ceremony and we're not allowed to have our purses or anything on us. And I'm just sitting there like, you know, in this ceremony of like however many people are graduating, the sea of like, you know, black cap and gowns, and I'm like, oh god, I feel it. Like, you know, the the dizziness, and you know, your ears are ringing, your palms are sweating. And you're like, oh no, what do I do? Like, I'm so embarrassed. I'm in the middle of a ceremony, and I'm gonna die. <laughs> like, I go to get up, and they're like, ma'am, no leaving. And I'm like, I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> they had to take me like backstage to find a vending machine. I don't have any money on me, and like, so the guy had to like prompt me like 75 cents to get like a candy bar or something out and he's like all right go back to your seat and i'm like seriously okay <laughs> i'm gonna go finish this out it's like pl- please don't ruin this ceremony with your life <laughs> ma'am really your disease is messing it up uh, it was funny. I think like everybody's been in a situation where they've had to ask for someone for extra change or like a dollar to buy like uh, out of a vending machine just because you're so low. You're just in dire straits or, and you just need something really quick. It's always like an interesting conversation. I've started keeping granola bars in my purse like just for such an occasion. But then by the time I need it, it's all smushed and gross. And I'm like, well, here we go. It's happening anyway. Right. This is like this is for survival. This isn't fun. <laughs> Uh, I, re- I one time was in, uh, I'm not sure if I told this story before on the podcast, but uh, I was in Japan. Well, I haven't heard it, so tell it again. Right, we're telling it here. Uh, in 2015, I was in Japan, and I was climbing, uh, in, in Ki- I went to Kyoto for the day, and I was looking at all these temples, and I like, um, I'm thinking of like, uh, it's, at, it's at the arches, the arches at like, I think it's Iniro Station, and so like, I'm, uh, you know, I'll, I'll correct that in the show notes if I'm, if I'm wrong, but, um, the, like I, I climbed it and like the diagram looked like it was just like a, like five story climb, like just super simple, like up some steps, like and it's this beautiful, like nature preserve and these arches are everywhere and it's gorgeous, beautiful day outside. Come to find out it's like a mile and a half hike. So I got all the way up and it's like mostly up, like up a side of a cliff and you get to the top and you can see like all of uh, of Kyoto and like the coast and it's beautiful, but I like got all the way up there and I hadn't really had anything to eat and, um, I had no, and I was like, Oh man, I'm having a low. And I had, I ate my granola bar, but it like didn't really do much cause it was, I was still so low. So luckily in Japan, there are vending machines literally everywhere. So I'm like, 
a mile, a mile and a quarter in, I'm like almost to the summit of this like historical landmark. And I come up some stairs and there's these like Fox idols and altars. And it's like very cool. And then all of a sudden there's a Coca-Cola machine like right there. And I was like, yes, <laughs> like, yes, I can have an ice cold can of Coke in Japan on top of this altar mountain. And you're like, I'm going to worship this can of Coke. Give me two seconds. Yeah, it was it was fantastic. I was like, oh wow, this is uh this is perfect. I'm so glad this is a thing. I'm so glad vending machines are everywhere because otherwise this would have been a tough hike back down. Like, I'd be dead right now. The worst part is like when people don't understand what's happening because I've often said to people like having a low is kind of like being drunk. Like your brain is fine and your brain knows what's going on, but your body just will not cooperate. And like, I was doing a panel once at a convention, and I feel my blood sugar, like, bottoming out. And I was talking, and I kept losing my train of thought. I don't know if that happens to you. And you're like, anyway, you know what I mean. And you're like, anyway, um, the thing is, um, and, like, you can't form a thought. And finally, the girl doing the panel with me, she'd never met me before. And she looks at me, and she's like, are you drunk right now? And I'm like, no, I'm not. I swear. I'm just, I'm just dying. I <laughs> I'm not drunk. I'm just on the verge of death. Uh, I think most people who know me would uh, would say that I don't. It, it has not, me zoning out or losing my train of thought has nothing to do with my low blood sugar, just with the fact that I'm distracted <laughs> all the time. But uh, I, now I'm going to blame it on that. So thank you for that. It's really I really You're appreciate welcome. it. Uh, something that people. <laughs> something that uh, other guests have mentioned when they come on the show especially when they're telling like a longer story with like multiple like peat parts and are kind of getting really into detail uh, is that if they, if their blood sugar starts to drop, they'll just start rambling and they like won't realize how long they've been talking and that someone else on their end for me, it's great because this, you guys hear me every week or, you know, basically every episode. Uh, and so there's only a limited amount of stories that I have, but uh, so for me, when they go and they start rambling, it's fantastic because I get more information. Uh, but then like someone on their end will see them or hear them or be in the same room as them and they'll give them like the, hey, you're rambling symbol, uh, which is just really funny too. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think I typically ramble. I, I say um a lot. Like I'll tell people, I'm like, if I start saying um a lot or I can't finish the thought, I'm like that means things are bad. But another thing that happened once, I recently worked at a daycare and I went into the infant room because we put all our ice packs in their fridge like dog got hurt and they're the door to get in there the handles on the other side so like the little babies can't climb up and accidentally open the door it's like a half door you know it only goes up to your waist okay you have to reach over it and open the doorknob from the other side and i reached over and i'm looking and i could tell my blood sugar's low but it was one of those days where it was like really really busy and it just hadn't had time to eat and i'm like reaching for the doorknob and i can't find it and i'm like looking i'm like where's the doorknob and one of the teacher looks over and she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, no. I'm like, I can't find the doorknob. She's like, it's on the other side. Like, it always has been. And I'm like, well, I could have sworn it was right here. And I can't open the door. <laughs> Good times. It is, right? It's just like, oh, don't mind me. I'm just being myself, right? <laughs> we'll um, be okay. Just need a Snickers. <laughs> so in the... Uh, and I kind of, I kind of want to shift gears here a little bit. Um, you know, as you have been uh, obviously with your with your family with your children, uh, how do you talk to them about uh, about your diabetes? I I don't really talk to them about it. Like 
it's just always been around. I mean, it's been around since, you know, before they were born. We don't really, you know, occasionally if I have, you have one of those days where you have, like, multiple bouts of low blood sugar, you know, you're feeling kind of run down because your body's, like, going through it so many times. Uh, you know, like, I'll explain to them, like, hey, you know, I'm having low blood sugar right now. I just don't feel good. And they'll kind of, like, give me that space until, like, it comes back up. And they're really good about, you know, if I'm like, hey, go get my test strip or can you get my insulin? Like, they know what to look for and things like that. But I wouldn't say it's really affected them, you know, that much other than, you know, if we do go on, like, outings together or something. I'm like, oh, hey, my blood sugar's low, so we need to stop and get some food. And they're just like, yeah, food! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's it's interesting, like, being the non-diabetic child of a, of a type 1. You, you begin to, like, associate good stuff. I know one of my friends... Uh, has two gorgeous little boys and she uh, every time if she gets like kind of upset at them sometimes they'll just ask her like mommy are you having a blood sugar <laughs> <laughs> or they'll uh, they'll start to use like oh I'm having a, my blood sugar is low I need candy <laughs> <laughs> mine haven't tried that with me yet they're uh, they're now eight and ten um, but it's, it's funny you mentioned that uh, kids are I don't know, like, it's never really hit it from them, so I think for them it's just very normal and everyday, and it's not anything special. Uh, and that's cool, you know, the worst part is, like, when you're on a new medication or something, like, uh, I was, I had an allergic reaction to something recently, to an antibiotic, and to get over the reaction, I had to do a steroid, and the steroid, like, really messed with my blood sugar, and so then for a few days, it was like, I needed them, you know, I told them, I was like, hey, I really need your help, like, my body's really messed up right now. And, you know, they were, like, extra helpful and things like that. But they're really great kids, so I can't complain. They're they're awesome, especially when it comes to things like that. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned steroids are the worst, right? Because they'll send you just sky high. Uh, blood oh, my gosh, so uh, high. And, yeah, I, uh, I recently had surgery, and... Uh, I had a bunch, they put a bunch of cortisone in one of my ankles after they had, they did the surgery on it to like, you know, help with the pain. But my blood sugar was super high for like three days. It was the worst. And you feel off. Oh yeah. It's the, like, I cannot describe even like 20 minutes uh, of being above, you know, 200 or so, like makes me feel so bad. Just, just the worst. Um, and even, and you know, get any higher that. than that. And it's, it's even worse. I don't think I'd been on a steroid like in, in, as for a really long time. I don't remember the last time I was on a steroid, and I don't think like the new doctor and I don't think like he thought to tell me it was gonna happen. And so when I took it, like I didn't for the first day, I was like, "What is wrong with me?" I'm like, "God, like I I know I didn't eat that much. Like there's hardly any carbs in this meal. I know I took the right amount of insulin." what's going on and then you play that mystery game of like all right let me go through my day what did i do differently and i was like oh it's the steroid so as soon as like my reaction was better i actually stopped taking the steroid because i was like i think this is worse for me than than to take it because my blood sugar is so high well, and it is like it, it just doesn't it feel if, if it makes you question, you know, uh, medical decisions. And like I, I always obviously like talk to my doctor and he's like, you know what? Some people some people have the reaction of high blood sugar and some people don't. And I think it's just kind of back to what we were talking about earlier, that everybody's so different. Yeah, that's a good point. 
So uh, I think kind of while we're on the subject of medication, like there's so much good research coming out. There's new, um, you know, new medications that have been in human trials and are sort of starting to release and um, a lot of new pump technology. You mentioned that you're on long acting insulin. Like what are you what are you excited about for, you know, the for the future of your life with type one? I think that I think honestly, and maybe this is me just being kind of too hopeful. I don't know, but I think that there will be a cure for diabetes. The way we're advancing in medicine, I think there will be a cure for it. You know, within our lifetime. Um, I'm not actually on a pump because I'm pretty vain, uh, and I would rather just I take the uh, the insulin pins. You know that yeah. I'm just like around love them <clears throat> so i don't have a pump my doctor is like you know i'd really like you to get a pump he's like do fine on your own like my average a1c is like 5.5 uh jealous <laughs> i work really hard <laughs> um but <laughs> he said you know he's like obviously you're he's like if there comes a day where i think you really need it like i'll let you know i'm like i'm not that vain doc like if it ever comes to the point like life or death like, I'll take the pump. I'm not so vain that I would die over it. Uh, I'm like, but let me know when they come up with a patch. You know, like, if I can just slap a patch on my shoulder, that'd be fantastic. Right. <laughs> I, I think that that was my initial, like, I've had a pump for eight years, uh, my Medtronic pump. And I think I'm about to get a new one, fingers crossed, because my warranty is about to be up. So, yeah, keep the, oh, send those good vibes. But, um yeah, I think when I at first I was like, "Wow, this isn't cool. This isn't sexy at all." Like, I I, just, I didn't want this. I didn't want. It. I was like, "Nope." But uh, yeah, I was I was wrong. I, I thought. I mean, not that it's like super cool and sexy, but it is. It like it's totally incognito, and I lo I love my pump. But you should uh, make it sexy. Just like draw a heart on it. And be like, look how sexy that is. Right. Just give it some cool like you know some cool clothes. I think we had. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Emily Emblem from uh, from Pump Peels was on the podcast. Uh, pump Peels is a great way, especially for kids, to uh, to dress up their, your pump and kind of get that individual, uh, you know, stand stand out from the crowd kind of look on your pump. So, um, plenty of options out there for for people to bedazzle their pumps in cool ways. But yeah, I totally get it. Awesome. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, I said I think that's awesome. Like I, I've never had a pump. Uh, the closest thing I had is what do they call it? Is it the, the Dex? You know? Yeah, um, yeah. The like twenty-four hour like blood sugar monitoring. Yeah, we the did it, uh, uh, CGM and Dexcom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had it uh, probably about a year ago. Uh, they had me try it because my friends brought some discrepancies, you know, and that's how you do that. It's all the time. Uh, and he was like, "Oh, little." He shows me this. You know, he's like, it's this big. Like, look how tiny that is. You won't even know it's there. And I'm like, okay. But he didn't tell me was that the case was going to be huge. And so, like, it's on, you know, the back of my arm. And I'm like, it's ugly. I don't like it. <laughs> like, everyone can see it. And it's Texas and it's hot. And I wear tank tops all the time. And everyone knows it's there. It's like a big, ugly technology wart. And uh, I was not... <laughs> When, when we had it out, they're like, so do you want one all the time? I'm like, no, I don't. Thanks, though. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, you know, again, no type one is the same, right? Everybody want, has their own preference as to what it is. And like like you said, like, if your control is good, like, have, have whatever you want. You know, uh, I think 
for the most part, it's about split, probably 50-50 people who are on my uh, podcast who are uh, do either daily injections or um, or have a pump. So I think it's, I, I don't know what the numbers are, you know, nationwide, worldwide, or what have you, but, um, you know, what does stand out is that nobody treats their diabetes exactly the same. That's true. So kind of with that in mind, um, you know, this is a question I always ask all my guests. Um, if you could, uh, if you could tell a recently diagnosed type one diabetic one thing and just one thing, what would it be? Your life is not over. <laughs> I, I know it feels that way. Um, no, it feels that way when you first get diagnosed and think everything's different and you're like, it sucks. Like now I can't have margaritas anymore but <laughs> um your life is not over and i feel like yeah diabetes is one of those hidden diseases like you don't know people have it you have to street and you know all look the same one of them's diabetic you know your life's not over you can still do all the things you want to do in life and it just means that you have to be a little more careful with your diet and how you treat your body because the decisions you make about your body now will affect you in the future. Um, and the one thing that really helped me when I was first diagnosed, because there's all these scary, you know, things about being diabetic and how you're going to have your foot amputated at some point and, and things like that. And you're going to go blind and your kidneys are going to fail and, and it's scary. And you're like, I don't want that to happen to me. I like my feet. What helped me was I was working at a hospital, like I said, um, and I met patients and one of them, with somebody that didn't control their diabetes and she was that patient. She was like had her foot amputated and she was blind and she was on dialysis. And I was like, Oh my God, that's really scary. And then I met another patient and she was type one diabetic and she had great control. And I was like, well, how long have you been diabetic? And she's like, like 25 years. And I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah. And I'm like, and you're not like blind or anything. And she's like, no, she's like, I see fine. My kidneys are fine. I have all my limbs. She's like, I just control it. And to me, that was like, all right, if I do well, like I can be this woman, I can be 50 and still be healthy. So, I don't know, it was a ramble, but I, I think I got my point. You did. I know your, your point is well taken, and I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, you know, your life is not over, and you can still do whatever you want. And, um, you know, keep your feet, because feet are great. <laughs> feet are awesome. And, uh, you know, I, I haven't, you know, I'm totally willing to, and I, you know, if, if someone's life is out there and, and diabetes has taken their feet away from them, I would love to talk to them, but I haven't talked to any type ones, uh, yet that have had, uh, that have had any amputations or anything like that. So I think that's just a, um, you know, sort of managing by exception. Like people say, you know, this could happen, but anything could happen, you know, it's just, um, you know, all the research and technology is so great today and doctors are so awesome. Um, talk to your doctor, listen to them. Uh, and you know, you can do whatever you want, just like you said. Yeah. And if you're in the Dallas area, I don't know. I mean, my doctor is awesome. Very, very helpful. And you see me for the past seven years. And I always feel like I'm going to see family when I see him. Like he always knows what's going on with my life. He's always happy to see me. Maybe it's because I have like a really good A1C. <laughs> Maybe I'm the easy patient that day. I don't know. But I think part of the reason why it's so good is because I've had somebody help manage it all these years and keep me on track. And the moment I 
scared about something, you know, I can talk to him and he's going to lead me in the direction, you know, the right direction that's best for me. And I've been diabetic 10 years now. It's like my 10 year anniversary. Um, Yeah. What, uh, what day were you diagnosed? When's your, what day was your 10 year? I don't remember the exact day. I know that sounds crazy, but I was pregnant at the time. Uh, But it was probably about three months ago. So I want to say it was like December. Uh, sometime in December because I was six months pregnant at the time and that's about you know the time frame back then but I was 20 I was 21 you know I remember because I got pregnant uh, right before I turned 21 so I was like well I couldn't drink because I was pregnant and then I became diabetic I'm like man there goes all the good drinks (laughs) (laughs) I I laugh when you said oh I can't have margaritas anymore that's the first thought that comes into every diabetic's head no matter what stuck with Roman Diet Coke forever. <laughs> well, Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the show. Uh, it was fantastic to meet you, and I'm really glad uh, that our uh, our friends in common, our, our mutual friends, uh, introduced us. Oh, thank you so much. I'm sorry. I like to talk. I can... uh, literally, my show is based on pe- diabetics who like to talk, so please don't, <laughs> apo- don't apologize for that. You should change it to that. Diabetics that like to talk. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. I'll have to think about a sub a sub show. That'd be just where we <laughs> where we just all have low blood sugar and ramble. <laughs> That'd be great. Um, uh, Kristen, are you uh, if if people want to find you online, uh, do you have like social media profiles, or you do you keep a pretty low profile? Actually, no. I have um because of my acting and things like that. I have a bunch of social media. Thankfully, it's all under the same name, so it's easy to find. If you find me on one, you can find me on the other. Uh, my Twitter uh, username is Chris Comic, K R I S C O M I C S, and it's the same for Facebook and it's the same for Instagram. So that's private, so you shouldn't add me there. And my website is chriscomics.com. Awesome. Well, Kristen, thanks so much again, and uh, look looking forward to staying in touch and uh, keeping up with all the awesome stuff you're doing. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for having me on. It was a lot of fun talking to you. Thanks again for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. I'm going to try a new thing. I'm going to start sending out a Friday newsletter with just my thoughts for the week and some questions that you guys have asked either on social media or that you emailed me. So if you want to do that, just subscribe on the website, diabeticsdoingthings.com. See you again next time.